Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the No BS Marketing Podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. I think it's a, a bit of the understanding this is a very crowded space, right? So it's how do you stand out, but also um, a lot of these products you take in your life around fun events, but brands are usually overly serious or overly descriptive. And sometimes you have to be where you're selling a supplement. But for us, it was, can we sell a supplement through humor and being more conversational and relatable rather um, than being super form- formal and serious? And we found success in that. What's up, everybody? Welcome to a live podcast of the Marketing Millennials. I'm here with two special guests. I'll let them introduce themselves, but they founded the Water Boys and the Water, Water Boy, and I'll let them enter themselves. Yeah, yeah. My name is uh, Connor Saley, one of the founders of Water Boy. And uh, yeah, Mike, uh, thanks everyone for sticking around. I know it's kind of late and a lot of brilliant speakers up here. And now you're listening to a dude, we're all white. So I'm, you know, I'm honored to be up here and thank you for sticking around. <laughs> I want to go into the story. How did Waterboy start? What was the journey of building Waterboy? And then we'll get into some marketing stuff. Yeah, I'll let Mike tell the story of how the idea came about. But I love to, to throw this in just in how we met. I had just moved to Austin about three years ago and was talking to, if not dating, this girl. And she was like, oh, you should meet this guy, Mike. He lives here and... Thank y'all to hit it off. So I ended up meeting him for coffee. That's when kind of the idea was born in a way, but it was funny. It didn't work out with that girl. And I later found out that before me, she had dated Mike. And so it, it didn't work out with her for either of us, but we found each other. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's accurate. The timeline's accurate. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, as far as the idea, honestly, or, or fortunately, unfortunately, depending on which way you look at it, it was from a personal need and I felt like the nights where I would go out with friends and they would get away from me and I woke up feeling rough. My choices were really either Pedialyte or Liquid IV. And it's kind of understanding why I'm taking these products. And I felt like Pedialyte did a really good job at hydration, but it was meant for kids. So there's things that they wouldn't put in the formula. And then Liquid IV is the main player in the space, but they make a general product for every use case, right? So for workout recovery, for daily hydration, for travel, et cetera. And to me was when I'm waking up after a night out, I'm not just dehydrated, but I'm also maybe anxious, nauseous, fatigued. So can I make a formula that's more specific to that use case? And is that a broad enough use case? So then we packed our product with electrolytes, ginger, L-theanine, vitamins, et cetera, and really put that messaging out on social media, uh, TikTok, audience really resonated with it. And then, yeah, since there, we've just been following that journey. I want to go into the TikTok strategy because I think that's where I saw you off first was on uh, TikTok. How did the strategy start? Why did you choose TikTok as the first channel to go attack? And what was the strategy behind it? To be honest, there wasn't too much of a strategy when we started. I think we were kind of just trying to figure it out as we went. But I think at the time, that's when TikTok was becoming really hot, especially for new brands. And I think especially in the hydration space, we kind of saw that a lot of companies are posting these like very overly serious Instagram photos and just weren't very relatable to the actual customer. And for us, it was like, how can we market a product to when people actually take it and be like fun and relatable to them? 
And instead of operating as a brand trying to sell to you, operate as a creator, basically. And so that was more or less like the broad strategy from the beginning. And um, we really leaned into to storytelling a lot. I think when, when I look back at a lot of the videos we made and content, that has been far and away the, the stuff that has performed the best for us. One of the things that I'm, I know I talked to you about earlier was you had a big following going into this, but you chose not to use that as like the face of the brand. Why did you decide to not use your face and just decide to just make Waterboy the center? I think there's a couple of reasons. The first one is I don't think either of us wanted one person to be too like dependent or the, the brand to be too dependent on one person. But then two, we just wanted to almost attract like a new audience that that followed Waterboy for what it was versus for me. And it's funny because I think sometimes people do think our success stems from me. But at the end of the day, I don't think anyone really cared amongst like the reality TV following, honestly. So it's cool because a lot of people just associate the brand as like Mike. Mike is more or less like the face of the brand, which I think is like really cool, honestly. I think initially we didn't want any false signals of, hey, we have an audience that's somewhat bought in a little bit because I carried over from Connor and sometimes it's not as sustainable. So can we find product market fit and our messaging to hit on our own organically? And I would say probably from when the account was at zero followers all the way to maybe 25,000 or so, a lot of people didn't even know Connor was behind it. Uh, the first video I made and a bit of the strategy on choosing TikTok was also it felt like on that platform, you could get a disproportionate amount of views relative to your channel size, whereas on Instagram and other channels, you had to be big to get views. Um, and the first, I remember making the first video, I remember driving in my car, I had to go get my mail and I remember thinking like, fuck, this is going to be so cringy. My friends are going to see it. It's barely going to have any views. It's going to be awkward. And I was like, you know what? Let me just make it while I get my mail. I, I made a very quick one minute story. If I look back now, and yes, there were some elements of hooks closes, et cetera. But I wasn't really thinking about that. Uh, went to bed, the account grew from like zero to 7,000 followers. So then I remember thinking, oh, TikTok's really easy. You just got to tell a story and people will buy in. So then I made the next four or five videos. They didn't do quite as well. And then the seventh one I would say is like the first one that went viral. It was uh, me explaining why I drink Pedialyte and why I'm making Waterboy instead. And I would say that video got a little over 2 million views. Uh, we were fortunate to have a landing page captured about 17,000 phone numbers. On, uh, before we launch, and then that gave us a, a lot of the initial validation of, okay, we're onto something here. I want to go also with the, the power of TikTok. I know one thing is your SMS, you have a great SMS strategy, and the other, explain like what you saw on the other side, like sales, because I don't think people would see like, oh, they you, you have a social media strategy, is it getting revenue? Uh, what did you see from the other side and what was the strategy of capturing that audience? Uh, yeah, I would say in the early on videos, we re uh, leaned really heavily into like what we do and how we're different. And those videos are a bit more product focused. And from that, we would see a uh, sales spike. But everything we did really in the first six months was, was just purely organic. We didn't run any paid so we could attribute things pretty easily to performance. Um, and then our strategy switched a little bit on TikTok because honestly, like you can only talk about why your product is better for so long before you start sounding like a broken record. And it's understanding of like, okay, this, this is not sustainable. Yes, this converts and we can take some of these assets and reskin them for meta. But what do we want to convey on TikTok? And if the goal there is maybe to do awareness and to build brand. So then when people do see our ads on meta, it's a little bit warm already. Um, 
I think the strategy did shift, but yeah, initially it was a bit more product focused and then it went a little bit more into brand warming up the audience. And then most of the conversions and the paid we run, it's, it's off of meta. So what are, initially that was your strategy getting on TikTok. What are your new like growth levers now to growing Waterboy? It's hard because you're trying to balance everything at once, right? And sometimes uh, we've bootstrapped everything. So sometimes it's a supply demand, uh, demand thing and not over investing in inventory, et cetera. I mean, that one of the easiest levers to sometimes to pull is Facebook ad spend. So I'm running our media buying and there's been times because I don't have to go through, through approvals or anything. I'm like, what if I just add an extra zero to this ad group that's converting really well? What will happen? And when you're running really just one channel meta, it's pretty easy to attribute whether you have triple whale, et cetera, whether you have any attribution tools, it's pretty easy to attribute it to that. And when you see sales jump as a direct result, almost in direct proportion of, as we expected, then, then you know it's working. Uh, but in terms of easy levers for us to pull, I would say being able to scale up ad spend profitably and then also being mindful of production and how that like impacts the rest of operations. One of the things that I know we also talked about in the past is influencers. I think you have a, a, a hot take on influencers that I wanted you to chat about of like how best to use influencers and how, be- how are you using influencers at Waterboy? I think when we last talked, I probably had a very hot take about it. <laughs> I think I've warmed up a little bit more to it. It's tough because I, I kind of came from that world and I just know on the other side for a brand, you're not always getting good conversions there. And I, I know sometimes it's more for branding where you're going to work with someone, but at the end of the day, like you want to sell product, right? So we were always very hesitant to even break into that space and it from a few people that we have worked with, especially like larger scale influencers, it has honestly just kind of missed the mark. So we're still like testing that. I think at the end of the day, and it was interesting, like the last conversation of just talking about like depth with creators and like community. And at the end of the day, like that's the most important thing. And so for us, like the most successful collaboration or partnership that we did was Funny enough, with my girlfriend, who's a TikTok creator, we did a flavor collaboration with her. And that was by far and away like the best collaboration that we've ever done and like an ideal partnership with an influencer. But for us, it's like looking for people that have really, really good communities. And sometimes it's hard to find, but I think you can like look through comment sections and stuff and see that. Like we did just do a partnership with an influencer. If you look at the comment section of it, it's like, oh, like get your bag, you know, like stuff like that. It's like, well, all right, that's not going to do much for us, you know, but you can tell if people are actually like interested in that person's life and want to, you know, understand what products they're using and all that. I also want to go into one thing that I think you all do really well is your brand. So how did you come up with not only the branding and the name, but like the values that the brand has and the mission the brand is going to do? I think it's a, a bit of the understanding this is a very crowded space, right? So it's how do you stand out? But also um, a lot of these products you take in your life around fun events, but brands are usually overly serious or overly descriptive. And sometimes you have to be when you're selling a supplement. But for us, it was, can we sell a supplement through humor and being more conversational and relatable rather um, than being super form- formal and serious? And we found success in that. Um, so that's why like the name will when we looked for names, everything's trademarked in this asset class. Somehow Waterboy wasn't. Adam Sandler left that one for us. So like we were fortunate enough there, but yeah, that whole extension of how do we make everything fun? So even on our website or 
language and our copy is a little bit more tongue in cheek and that extends through everything. Um, and I think a lot of that is easy to carry out because our team is small and we don't outsource a lot of things. We just do it all internally. So then we can really hold on to that like voice and personality. Going on the brand too, I think um, you guys decided to also bring that aspect into TikTok and bring like a mascot. And how did you decide to do that aspect on for the brand? But to be honest, I don't know how that came about. It was fairly soon after we launched and obviously like the Duolingo mascot was killing it on TikTok. And we're like, oh, I wonder if we can do something similar. I found a raindrop costume from, I think it was, came from China. It was like a hundred dollars and got that shipped. And then one of my best friends, his name is Danny. And I was like, what a Gen Z people talk about. It's like, you have like drip, right? It's like, oh, you call him Danny drip. You know, it'll be like relatable to people. Yeah. And so we just, we had that costume. We delivered our first round of orders, like all the Austin customers, we delivered those in person in the costume, uh, which was pretty funny. We made some content around it. And then we did upgrade that costume uh, probably like a year and a half ago to a pretty legit one. It has like a fan inside now. So it's kind of nice to, to be in there. But yeah, I think for us, it was like, how can we make like more interesting content and just like do different stuff than other brands. And it's tough because on TikTok now there's just, everyone is doing a little bit of everything, but we've loved just like testing different things like the, the mascot. And we did some stuff on our own channel. We created his own channel that we haven't honestly tapped into as much, but always got that stuff in the works. What is one of the biggest marketing lessons you've learned from growing Waterboy? Like what for the audience, What's like something that they could implement today that you've seen success doing? I would say for us, we, we try to approach every problem with creativity and creativity is not just content, like even freight and customer service, like everything is just trying to approach it with creativity and to be different. It's trying to figure out like what you're trying to solve for and how, right? So if we're doing a PR box gifting campaign for macro influencers and it's okay, how do we get them to react to it? And how do we increase those odds? But really, I would say the biggest thing is leaning into the why and figuring that out for yourself in your own voice and not being afraid to take risks and do things differently than other brands. And with that, you're going to get a lot of noise. You're going to get people that love it and people that hate it. And sometimes when that happens, you know, you're doing something right. And I think it's just being able to tune that out and kind of like stay in your own lane. Going off of that, I, I do think even when we started, it was like, oh, this brand is doing this. We should do that too. And I think a lot of people when they start a company kind of have a similar thought. And although that can be like helpful for a little bit, you kind of have to create your own voice and your own path. And that is one thing that I would like really recommend. I, I think for, for companies starting out, just like leaning into TikTok, we really did that when we started and it was super successful for us. I think some people can do really well at it. Some people not as much maybe, but I, I think it's just like being creative and not just doing something because another brand is doing it, kind of finding your own voice and being unique and different and having fun with it, showing behind the scenes, showing the story. And if you can do that, you can, can have a lot of success with it. And then the other thing too, uh, Michael Bostic, who's on the Skinny Confidential uh, podcast with his wife, he, he said this at a live podcast of like all these brands sometimes try and be everywhere. So you see all these different companies doing podcast advertising, work with it, working with influencers, PR, gifting, affiliates, all that stuff. And if you try and copy that and 
as your own brand, try and do all of these different things, you end up doing nothing basically. So it's like pick the, the one or two or three things that you can really do well at and like be the top person or the top brand in that space. And I think for us, we've had to like give ourselves a reality check a couple times of like, okay, why are we doing this like PR stuff? It's just like wasting money or like other things like that and really hone in on what are like the three buckets that are working and like, let's put our energy there. What are some of the biggest differences in your marketing from when you started Waterboy to today? What are, what are the biggest changes you've, you've done and learned from that? I don't know that there's a lot of differences other than more or less identify what's really working and then just double down on it. Mm-hmm. And then obviously as we introduce new products, uh, our positioning, because our, our positioning and messaging was, was always like, this is a better way to recover after a night of drinking, but it's by no means a cure. You can't get smashed, drink this and feel fine. No such thing exists, right? And to us, that really matters to get that out there because like retention is just as important. And our message and our premise is, can we make hydration specific to when people need it? So, and when exactly do they need it? And as we introduce new products, some of the positioning maybe slightly shifts, but the core principles of the brand of being like lighthearted, fun, a high quality, that all remains the same. I, I wouldn't say a lot of that marketing has changed. It's more so just doubling down on what's working and then doing small tests and other channels to figure out, is that an area we want to spend more effort on? But more or less, it's what Connor said. It's, just, it's really just being focused and figuring out ways to say no to like the majority of things. What are some new things you're trying to test for like Black Friday, Cyber Monday, or going into 2024, what are the things are you thinking about doing for Waterboy? Uh, we, we've started testing new channels at a smaller scale, uh, like podcasts. But for us right now, there's still a lot of room left for growth on our current channels. So the main hurdle we had is moving to a bigger production facility that can make more product. Uh, that was really the thing we needed to work on, and we've got that solved. We haven't really leaned into as heavy. I know you talk to a lot of DTC brands and Q4 is like a huge emphasis on Black Friday and like what flows you have emails, et cetera, and they drive a lot of revenue. Uh, we have not leaned into it that heavy so far just because we were more supply constrained. And for us, the biggest thing to demonstrate and focus on is how do we, how do we communicate value and our differentiator and get people to pay a price rather than what bundling can we do and what coupon code can we do and like what sequence can we hit them in to get that like quick uh, sale? I mean, uh, discounts do work. We run them fairly infrequently, but yeah, I would say most of our strategies have been like fairly just keeping things simple, doing a few things well, focus on storytelling and then just pull the levers that are working. A lot of people think that marketing has to be in the content and stuff like that, but I think it's cool that you're also thinking about marketing as as a sense of how can I get the logistics up? How can I make sure like product is stocked? I think a lot of people just go to like the content and then stop worrying about that. But that's a big part of your strategies with, I know you guys did drops because you had to, you had limited supply. Could you talk about how you've dealt with supply constraints and how you got to the place you are with your new supplier? Yeah, supply, that was like the most frustrating thing, right? Because it feels like you're trying to drive a car fast with a foot, one foot on the brake and one foot on the gas, both at once. Um, it, it was just finding the right partners to partner with and, and being mindful of that. And, and for us, because everything was bootstrapped, more or less we were flipping inventory and reinvesting it. So there was some constraints around capital and how much risk we want to take on inventory runs. 
And then there was also constraints around the production facilities and how much they can make. So for us, for the supply, it was simply just moving to bigger and better production facilities that uh, that could make more of it. But yeah, sometimes it is challenging, right? You're running out of supply. There's subscription orders. People are not getting their product. They have to skip order or wait. And it can be good, I guess, to have a supply issue at times. But there's also a lot of challenges that happen, especially at the customer support level. What is like something that you've learned from failure in what you did that you've overcome that you that would be beneficial for people to know that to not make that mistake that you did at Waterboy? I feel like we take risks, but I don't know if we've had really any big failures. Or I, I think for us too, it's more or less, sometimes now it's like, okay, if we want to grow 10X, what will break first? And how do we address this bottleneck? So even when I add an extra zero to an ad group on Facebook. It's like, okay, what happens? What happens to our customer support tickets? What happens to everything else? It's kind of like being mindful of that and how much room we have for growth. Uh, sometimes it's easy looking backwards of like, what could we have done more of to get to this point faster? But I don't know that I have any like profound. Yeah, I, I think for me that it, I'd probably say like some events that we've done and then yeah. influencers that we've worked with. I think in the moment it was like, oh, this is such a cool opportunity. Let's do it. And you kind of like hype yourself up of why you should do it. And then you you end up doing the event or working with the influencer. And it's like, oh, well, that didn't really work out how we wanted to. And then you have to pay a pretty big check for it too. So yeah, I think in those moments, it's actually like thinking through those decisions and then getting back to what I said before of just like, hey, if our focus is X, Y, and Z, like let's stick to that. Let's not stray away from it. And so like when I said, like, we have to kind of reality check ourselves sometimes that is what we have to do a lot of times because you constantly get bombarded with opportunities and you're going to get pitched pretty hard. So it's, it's staying true to, to who you are as a brand and what has been successful for you. What is a marketing hill you would die on? I think at least for brands that are starting out, it is putting your message out on social media. I mean, honestly, like who knows if we would even be sitting here today if Mike hadn't just made some selfie videos in his car mm -hmm. because there, there's no better way to test an idea, a product, a vision than just talking about it on social media. And I think in businesses I've worked on before, I've always had this sense of like, oh, someone's going to steal my idea or whatever if I start talking about it. But in reality, like you don't know if people even like your idea until you put the message out. So we were very fortunate to where the first six to eight months of the business, we didn't have to spend a dollar on advertising because Mike had put the message out and it really resonated with people and we just lean into it. So at least for brands that are starting out, that is by far the hill I would, would die on. Yeah. I would have something similar to that. I, I would say, I, I know, I know there's some agencies here, so, so sorry for that, but I would say to like not outsource the soul of your brand to an agency, it feels like sometimes founders want to almost be managers. And then it's like, I, I'm going to use this for con this agency for content, this for like X, Y, Z. And I think to the extent you can focus on your own messaging and your why and iterate through it, it, it's better than trying to like outsource and find some creators that can make UGC and hope those ads hit, et cetera. And another one too, I, it's like do, sometimes and it's common, but doing things that don't scale. So initially we did all of our own fulfillment for the first run. They gave us a very good idea of how quickly we can fulfill our product, which then helped us negotiate rates with 3PL. Uh, we sourced all of our packaging and ingredients, which was somewhat inefficient, but then it gave us a very good idea on margins, exact product costs, and we can negotiate with our production facility. So I think to the extent you can be 
at least initially do everything yourself. It's not gonna be very scalable, but you're gonna have a very, very deep knowledge in your entire company. And then slowly you can figure out like, okay, these are the levers I wanna focus more on and these are the ones that I could then start to outsource. And last question, because I know we're running out of time is, where can people find Waterboy? What you all up to? Where can people follow you guys? Just, uh, yeah, just waterboy.com. It was, it was a pretty tough domain name to get. So now, now we have it. Yeah, just waterboy.com. And then Waterboy can for all the social handles. Yeah. And then actually we're in Foxtrot across the street. I just found that <laughs> out today. So when I was walking over here, but yeah. Yeah, everybody go try Waterboy. And thank you everybody for coming to the live podcast. Yeah. And thank you for coming to Marketing Land. All right. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials podcast and giving it a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.